Welcome to our new show with Revive MS Support. Over this series, we'll meet some of the people involved with Revive, the leading provider of support for people in the west of Scotland who are affected by multiple sclerosis. Revive's purpose-built centre is located in Govan, Glasgow. First, we'll chat with Geraldine Miners, who will explain some of the counselling services available at Revive, and she'll explore the topic of worry and how to counter it. Yes, I'm Geraldine Miners. I'm the lead counsellor at Revive MS, um, and I've been in post for about 18 months now and loving it there. Excellent. Well, can you start maybe by telling us a bit about the counselling services provided at Revive? So the counselling service at Revive is very much at the, the heart of what we do, because I think there are very few people with multiple sclerosis who don't find at some point that they would benefit from talking to somebody who's outside their family um, or friend network about what they're going through. So the counselling service at Revive um, offers sessions to anyone that's registered with us, and that includes not just people with MS, but also their their carers, spouses, partners, um, anyone who needs to talk about MS. And uh, we offer the service in the centre in Govan and also online to people who perhaps can't get out of their houses or can't can't get to us. So we usually offer people nine sessions to start with if they come to us, but that's that's very flexible depending on what they need. Fantastic. And are there particular reoccurring concerns for people who are maybe diagnosed with MS that that come up in counseling? Absolutely, yes. Um, so people very often come to us feeling either very anxious, or depressed or both um, in relation to their MS or just in relation to other things that are happening in their lives. But um, some of the things that come up very often are um, adjusting to the diagnosis initially, because when people are first told that they have MS, for some people, it can be a little bit of a relief because they've been having unexplained symptoms for years. And suddenly somebody has actually given them an answer and said, this is what it is. And here are some treatments that perhaps can slow the progression of the disease. Um, so that's good news. But at the same time, it's just an, a massive, massive shock. And it comes with all sorts of fears about the future and how this disease is going to go. And of course, we know that multiple sclerosis is incredibly unpredictable. Um, and that, I think, is one of the hardest things for people to deal with because they, they can't really see the future. Um, so they often go to like the worst place in their minds. No, I can imagine it's, a, like you said, a bit of a double-edged sword there. Um, you know, you've, you've got the relief of a diagnosis, but then at the same time, it sort of opens up a whole new sort of realm of, of worry, I suppose. Yeah, there are, there are other things that very often come up. So um, people often hit a bit of a crisis when they have a big change in their condition and sometimes that means that they're not able to work anymore sometimes that means that they're moving um, from walking unaided to using walking aids or even going into a wheelchair um, sometimes people are struggling with their symptoms like pain uh, or um, problems with toilet activities that's a massive one and that can give people huge amounts of social anxiety and worry about going outside the house because what's going to happen if they get caught short or there's a there's a problem so those are some of the issues um and then people also come to us with all sorts of 
non-MS related concerns and, and how people deal with their MS depends a lot on what else is going on in their lives and, and how their childhoods were sometimes too. Well, it, they're not separate, are they? They all belong to one person. So even though some of their worry might be related to non-MS kind of concerns, it, they're all still for that person. And so you can imagine it's quite hard to to silo them like that. Um, you know, there is a, a relationship between them. Geraldine, what can someone expect when coming along to counselling? So what someone can expect from us is that they'll be assigned to one of the members of our counselling team. And at the moment, we've got a couple of qualified counsellors um, and also a whole team of wonderful final year student counsellors. Um, so in the first instance, it's very much about just opening up a space where people can just talk about what's on their mind um, and get stuff off their chest in a in a confidential environment. Um, but then when we get into the, the meat of what's bothering people, the, the approach that we use is cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, um, which is something that many listeners may well have heard of because it's also the approach that's used most often in NHS services because um, it's got a, a huge amount of evidence behind it that it's really effective for all sorts of anxiety and depression disorders. Um so CBT is all about looking at the link between what we think, how we feel, both physically and also in terms of our emotions, and then what we do. Because very often we get to a point where we're feeling terrible, we're feeling anxious, stressed, fearful, angry, and we desperately want to feel better, but actually affecting those feelings directly is pretty difficult. Um, so the way into it is to try and either think about the situation differently or uh, do something different, which can directly affect your feelings and your thoughts as well. So we analyze it through that lens. And hopefully that gives people not just some relief from what they're stuck in, but also some tools that they can go away with. And so when these things come up again, as they inevitably will, they they think, oh, yeah, I remember this. And I've got some tools and some frameworks that can help me to to think or act my way to a slightly better place. So it sounds like that there are some really good tools that you can provide or at, at least introduce people to that that really start to address the relationship, like you were saying, between what someone thinks how they feel about it and then how they they act on it um and you know there's a, a i suppose a real need for that when when you're out and about in the world or you know sort of out with a, a session if you like where, where these are going to be able to come in really handy for people um so geraldine what advice maybe would you give to someone who's who's experiencing worry then mm. So worry is a very uh, common thing that uh, many of our clients come along with. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, worrying is something it's absolutely universal to. Of course, yeah. And um, we all worry about the future. And in some ways, worry is quite a useful activity because if it's if it's in the realm of problem solving and thinking ahead and predicting, then that enables us to plan and to see off concerns mm -hmm. but where worry becomes a real problem is when people just get stuck in worry and they're what we call ruminating so it's going round and round and round and round in their mm -hmm. heads i call it a worry loop uh, yeah a worry <laughs> loop and then you you can not only have a worry loop but you can have a worry spiral so uh -huh. you worry about well what if 
okay, so what if this happens? Well, then if that happens, what if that other thing happens? And what if yes. that happens? And before you know it, you, you've almost imagined that, you know, you're lying on the, the streets or, you know, something really catastrophic has happened in your life, um, which has started with something quite, quite simple. Yeah. So what what we tend to do when we're working with people who are worrying a lot, um, first of all, is to get them to notice that they're worrying because people are often just kind of swimming around in yeah. a worry swimming pool and they, they can't even see the water anymore. Hmm. Um, and then to to try and classify their worries into what, what are real things that um, might actually happen and what are completely hypothetical things that could happen but you know they're they're totally theoretical right um i mean just at the moment i've seen a lot of people who are worrying a lot about the situation in ukraine which of course is very worrying but you know if you get to the point of you're going to well what happens if russia invades here is that a useful kind of worry i'm not sure that it is um so we get people to to kind of categorize their worry that way and also to think about what can i do something about and what can't I do anything about? Okay. Because if you can't do anything about the thing that you're worrying about, then the purpose of the worry is a bit doubtful, I think. And all it's going to do is just make you feel lousy, rubbish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we get people to, to try and classify their worries, write them down is a really good idea if they can do that. Um, and then there are, there's some good techniques for trying to let, let go of worries okay. uh, that that aren't useful. Um, so, I mean, one thing is to actually do something. So, you know, right now, I'm sure a huge number of people are feeling enormously worried about the situation in Turkey and Syria and all the people that have been affected by the earthquake there. Um, but that worry without actually doing something is is not that useful so sometimes for some people to actually go and do something even if it's make a donation or you know do something a bit more concrete can really can really help um another thing that people can do is to try and let go of their worries using a number of what we call mindfulness techniques Mm -hmm. to try and focus in the here and now because worry is all about the future um, just as depression is often all about the past. So trying to be here in, in the here and now, focus on the present, focus on what you can see around you, what you can hear, see, smell, mm-hmm. taste. Go outside if you can, try and have a look at the leaves on the trees or a passing dog or anything that's right here, right now, uh, will bring you back into the present um, and out of that kind of future orientation. Um, I think another thing people could do is they can imagine their worries, and this is a mindfulness thing as well, but sometimes see them as like, if you imagine you're standing on a riverbank and the worries are like logs that are floating down the river and going Mm -hmm. past. When you see one coming, you've got a choice, really. You can either say, oh, look, there's a log. I'm just going to let the current take that one by me. Mm -hmm. Or you can choose to jump in the river and start engaging with the log, (laughs) getting on the log. Those kind of metaphors can sometimes be useful for helping people to think about, okay, see the worry. You can't stop it, but here it comes and there it goes. And Mm -hmm. just let it go on past. I imagine there's there's some benefit in acknowledging that the log is there, you know, that there is a worry. You know, you're not trying to ignore it, blank it out. 
you know, you say, okay, I see you and now I'm going to let you go. A hundred percent. Yes. And yeah. of course, a lot of people do try to blank out worries or kind of squash them down with coping strategies like drinking or, you know, yeah, yeah. a whole variety of things. And that's definitely not helpful. I, I can, I can appreciate that. Um, you know, sort of from my own experiences when I've worried about things, you know, the the act of trying to ignore them seems to amplify it, actually. You know, it gets harder and harder to ignore these things when, in fact, what I should just say is, I see you, I hear you. Okay, now, goodbye for now. I'm, I'm going to let you pass. Um, and that takes the, almost takes the impact of it away, at least in, in my experience, um, you know, that, that's been quite helpful, but it's not something that came naturally, um, you know, and it seems like a simple sort of approach to it, but geez, oh, it was quite hard to allow myself to do that and to sort of not feel or, or think that that worry, that by recognizing that I was somehow going to become beholden to it um you know and then actually taking a wee look at it and going mm -hmm, mm -hmm, okay and goodbye um was actually quite um there was a relief in that actually um <clears throat> so it's it's really interesting for me to hear that that's an approach that that you guys use at revive as well yeah very much so I think worries are a bit like a um, a beach ball floating on a swimming pool. If you try and push them down below the waterline, mm -hmm. you can hold them down for a bit, but ultimately they're going to bang back up into your face. Uh, I think that's an excellent sort of image there that, that you've just uh, given us. Um, so, Geraldine, what can people do to reduce the amount of worry that they might have? So I would say... First of all, as you were just saying, absolutely acknowledge it. And one thing that is very clear is you know, life is tough. Life is very tough if you've got MS sometimes, mm -hmm. um, and it can be tough for everybody. So it's not about trying to negate worry or tell people not to be so silly. Mm -hmm. um, the, the world is a is a worrisome place. Mm -hmm. But it is about the here and now. It's so easy to be caught up in the future that we actually miss the everyday little things that are there to be enjoyed. Mm -hmm. um, you know, absolutely everything from the cup of coffee that I'm holding to stroking a pet to smiling at a, a child. Mm -hmm. you know, it, it, the only way, I think, to reduce worry is to try and find a way to live life today to the max because today is all we've got um and I know that sounds a bit thought for the day <laughs> but I I genuinely believe that and I I've learned that myself um, having mm. been somebody that spent a lot of time sort of worrying about the future um it, it is pointless so I think if if you just google worry you'll find a whole wealth of resources there um if you google worry tree um, you'll find a very useful CBT, CBT tool there, which is a, a simple kind of diagram that you can just use to look at your worries and think, what am I worrying about? You know, mm -hmm. is this something real, something hypothetical um, and find ways to let it go. Um, there's a particularly good website called Get Self Help, 
Um, so it's www.getselfhelp.co.uk. And there's a whole section on there about anxiety and worry. Um, but there are a ton of other resources and websites as well out there. So mm-hmm. um, just just get online if you can. Okay. Well, Geraldine, I want to say thank you so much for taking a few minutes to tell folks about the counseling services, particularly at Revive. But also, I feel that there was a lot there for folks generally. Um, So thank you so much for your your time and for your insight. That's a pleasure. Sonny Govan Radio. Second. We speak with Alan Stephen about the welfare support offered at Revive, the changes to adult disability payments later this year, deterioration in condition, and he'll signpost to other local organizations. I'm Alan Stephen. Uh, I'm the welfare and benefits officer at Revive MS Support. Could you tell us briefly what sort of welfare support do you offer here at Revive? Well, for uh, multiple sclerosis clients of Revive uh, and their immediate family if they have any challenges as well. Uh, we we engage in uh, talking to the client, finding out what their needs are uh, and, and, and at the same time assessing what benefits would be applicable. Um, so the biggest benefit just now is adult disability payment under Social Security Scotland, that's taking the place of a personal independence payment and a disability living allowance. Uh, now, th- th- this th- this covers uh, needs such as your daily living needs uh, and also mobility needs. Uh, this is a very important benefit, and it it also offers a good a uh, source of finance, um, uh, depending on the the level of a. Uh, the, the illness, uh, and say I'm talking particularly about MS today. Um, other benefits that we we cover um, w- would be like some universal credit, uh, just to ensure that everyone is getting help financially at a time when things are, are very tough out there. And also employment support allowance if you've had to retire early or um, you've just you're just not feeling well enough to 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 work um, a, a full time, but you have to reduce your hours. A employment support allowance is, is excellent. The the criteria for that is that you have paid your national insurance. Uh, other benefits, say such as blue badge, uh, reduction in council tax uh, payments, um, a bus pass. All all these things are all. Uh, part of the service we offer. Sounds like then there's quite a few possible benefits for folks um, with MS, but how can people access this support, including what you just mentioned there, the adult disability payments? Yeah. Well, I'm very glad to say that uh, most of these benefits are now available online. Um, And uh, if if someone was coming to talk to me about adult disability payment, I can organise without any phone calls online. A, 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 it comes in two parts and we, we, we can do all that on the internet and it does take some time, two to three hours to complete these forms, but it's it, 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 it's so much easier now than all, all the forms that we used to have to fill in in the past. Uh, so it's very accessible. 
Uh, and if you ever wanted to read about any benefits, just go into the gov.uk website and you, you name your benefit and it'll tell you about it. Same with employment support allowance, all online. That's a tremendous benefit and even applying for a blue badge. Uh, uh, so you name the benefit, it, it, 100% of the time we can do it online. We also help with uh, uh, supporting um, folks with uh, tribunals um, in, a, in a situation where they've maybe applied for adult disability payment or what was personal independence payment, PIP, hasn't been, it hasn't yielded the success they were hoping for and throughout the channels we, c we can appeal that to a tribunal and uh, you know, like myself, I'll, I would be with the client at the at the tribunal to support them and speak on their behalf. Mm -hmm. um, so that uh, it's a multitude of things that we can provide. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, Alan, could you maybe talk us through a tiny bit? How does a change in someone's symptoms, physical symptoms, or 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 emotional? Um, symptoms, because uh, I understand, you know, there's obviously a, a link and an impact of one on the other. Um, how do those things impact the welfare support that they're entitled to? Well, that that's an excellent question. Um, with, with MS, um, th there's various types, but it's either progressive predominantly or relapsing and remitting. Uh, and sometimes uh, folks... Uh, well, very often folks find that in life, um, if it's relapsing and remitting, things are going to uh, relapse. It's a tough time, and then they can, they have a time of remission. Mm -hmm. Sometimes with progressive, it, it, it's a, a very slow, sometimes a reduction in um, the things you can do mm -hmm. with mobility and daily living. So in a situation like that, um, even if, if, if they have a benefit already in place, there's nothing to stop them coming in to see me and uh, we can apply to EDP or Adult Disability Payment or what was PIP mm -hmm. um, online uh, or on the telephone and uh, apply to have a change in circumstances. So it's like a fresh look at things. Uh, and I find that uh, the Social Security Scotland are, are, are very helpful in this matter, as was PIP. Um, and it's always good to report these changes. Mm -hmm. uh, I would I would say also that if you if if you are applying for a benefit, always be realistic and and try and um, tell it the way it is. <laughs> Not just on a bad day or a good day, but um, the the honest way to do this is to tell it what you're encountering, and and you're going to have better success than trying to. Um, it, tell us nice things you know it, it's not nice things that you're suffering and we really want to get that out and uh, and, uh, and I think that's the, the key to, to the whole thing is to tell it the way you find it as it affects you mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I can I, I'm sort of imagining what it might what the experience might be like you know uh, for someone with, with MS who's trying to navigate the benefit system um, and you know, sort of the options that may or may not be out there, um, and how either a deteriorating condition or a, a sort of uh, relapse um, and recovery sort of um, how that I, I, did, I suppose what I didn't appreciate 
was how that would impact potential ven- like benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can imagine that there's a wee bit of worry that comes with people. So, you know, hearing you say that, you, you know, be honest mm-hmm. um, in, in, in sharing how, how one is experiencing this is, is one of the ways to, to navigate that. Yeah. Um, uh, and, you know, so I, I feel like that, that's a, a good bit to, to let people know there that, you know, it, um, you know to sort of be honest and, and open with, with what one's experiences are. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, there's nothing worse than borrowing someone else's uh, situation mm-hmm. to to apply to your own, or comparing yourself with someone else. Mm-hmm. It's it's how 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 it applies to you, and 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 the problems that you're having with your health, uh, with with MS, for for example. Um, <clears throat> just just be as honest and, neg- and, and and as negative don't don't be super <laughs> positive because that's maybe a bad thing to do because you're going to uh, miss out important areas that you are suffering from mm-hmm. um so ho- hopefully to access things you could do it yourself no problem at all online uh, but that's what we're here at revive for us to help you access the right benefits and we can assess, I can assess you uh, and know um, just what you need uh, and then we can take every give you every help we can to, to, to help you access these benefits Alan, we've been speaking mostly about folks um, who are perhaps living with MS um, but are there, are there benefits or welfare services available for folks who are family or carers and um, what What's out there for folks who are helping folks with MS? Well, that 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 that's a, a, again an excellent question. Um, <clears throat> while we're here to help folks living with MS uh, and help them as life goes on and and, and the changing circumstances and uh, you know because it never stays the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, I, quite often I'll, I'll help uh, carers or family members who may be suffering from something completely different. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll I'll help them access the systems as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, uh, the last thing in the world I would want to do would be to to preclude family members or carers mm-hmm. from accessing uh, our services uh, because they don't have MS. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there there are obviously other organisations out there that can. Uh, they're wonderful organisations that can help, and I'll, I'll, I'll name but two: Citizens Advice, some some an organisation that everyone's heard about and knows about, um, and there there, there are uh, obviously a local local branch that they can give all sorts of help. It's very similar to what uh, we do here at Revive. Uh, they're wider based, obviously. They're mm-hmm. they're going to cover all. Every type of illness and uh, disability, and obviously money matters. An excellent organisation, again, who help clients, um, and it's great to work hand in glove with these organisations. They all do a great job, um, uh, but that's in a wider area. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now I know that it, um, at least Money Matters is based in, in Govan and the old sheriffs. Um, Old police station—that's the one. Um, so another sort of local resource for people, and yes. um, because Revive is is based right here in Govan, um, so there's there's um, at least you know sort of two of these three mm-hmm. um, you know sort of uh, organizations and support networks that are that are very local and accessible to folks in and around the Greater Govan area. Very much so. Uh, 
I mean, we're all here to help, and and especially when when times are difficult like the artists now in all sorts of areas, uh, then uh, whether it's financial or um, you, you just need help uh, uh, in a medical situation, um, yeah, they're all there to help. And uh, including Revive, that's Revive Citizens Advice Money Matters, and you know there are others out there that are doing a great job as well. But the probably the the, the the two I mentioned, Citizens Advice Money Matters, are, are the biggest, and and obviously uh, Revive, we do a lot of uh, uh, support and welfare work uh, f- for benefits. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. This has been a really insightful conversation, Alan, um, just because, you know, I I can imagine that if one is negotiating a health issue um, and the impact that that has on their own life and the life of folks around them, that money, you know, in, in, you know, if it's the because someone isn't able to work as much or at all anymore um, or they're requiring more access um equipment or, or needs in their lives that that the the money part of it can be a a concern um that will will weigh quite heavily on people so to know that there's there's support um for those that part of of someone's mm. um sort of ms experience you know is a really um important part that that I'm I'm really glad to to be able to share that with everybody who's listening um because it will it will help take a bit of that pressure and you've got the experience navigating the system it's not that somebody couldn't necessarily do oh, it yeah. themselves oh, it's just that you know there's a lot of other things to worry about yeah. if one is negotiating yes, MS as well absolutely. so benefits on top of that will will mm. send yeah. you know most people into yeah. a wee bit of a worry spiral absolutely. um so it's really great that you know you've taken some time today yeah. Alan to, to share that with everyone thank you very much and I would encourage you to uh, if you have needs uh, not you know financial yes but more care needs uh, medical needs uh, you've you've been diagnosed with a serious illness um, uh, uh, and, and obviously we're thinking particularly of MS but um, family members carers of folks in the family who suffer from MS uh, we're more than delighted to to look at the situation as you find it and uh, give you some guidelines and, and, and help them help you through what comes next. Uh, so thanks very much for that opportunity. Thank you, Alan. Sonny Govan Radio. Finally, we're joined by Dr. Paul Gallagher, a neurology consultant at the Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Glasgow, about what MS is, the different types of MS, how it's managed, and what the future might hold regarding treatment. Yeah, my name is Paul Gallagher. I'm a neurology consultant at Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Glasgow. Well, welcome. Thank you so much for taking a moment to chat with us. Um, I suppose a really good place to start with. Um, Could you please tell us what MS is and a little bit about it? So I run an MS clinic in Glasgow um, uh, on a weekly basis and see lots of patients with, with MS uh, and I've done some research on MS in the past and continue to do so at present. Um, MS is uh, a condition of the immune system, we think, and it's something to do with the, the blood cells in your immune system that should fight off an infection, but for some reason start to attack your own body, similar to lots of other immune system conditions like diabetes, thyroid disease. But in MS, the immune system attacks your brain and your spinal cord in, in particular. And with this attack, it caused damage um, in different ways. 
It can essentially cause symptoms that um, result from the damage to the part of the brain or spinal cord that's been injured. And the most common type of multiple sclerosis is known as relapsing remitting multiple sclerosis. And that's where symptoms come and go over time. And that's because you get these little areas of inflammation that come up in the brain or the spinal cord, cause symptoms for a few days or weeks or months, and generally tend to improve with time. And these symptoms come and go over time, but it's very variable in terms of what patients' symptoms have day to day week to week um, and also it's very variable in terms of patient to patient or person to person uh, about what types of symptoms they have so it's quite difficult to predict uh, right at the start of someone's uh, first diagnosis what's going to happen over time um, so it's a disease of the immune uh, of the immune system that affects the nervous system um, and causes multiple different types of uh, symptoms I suppose uh, the the next thing on my mind after that is, um, are, are there any drugs or treatment for it? So there's lots of treatments um, for multiple sclerosis. Um, the two ways we treat multiple sclerosis are based on treating the disease itself. So these are usually immune system condition, uh, immune system treatments, and also we treat the symptoms, what we call symptomatic therapies. So a bit like if you have um, a headache, you can take a paracetamol, which will help the pain, but it may not be actually treating the underlying cause of the headache. Okay. The headaches aren't part of MS, but that's a, a, as an example. Sure. Um, so, yeah, and as I say, there's different um, ways of describing multiple sclerosis at present. The one I mentioned already is relapsing and remitting multiple sclerosis, the most common type, and that has lots of treatments available for it. There's two other types of multiple sclerosis, which you get fewer of these episodes of relapses, um, but you do get worsening symptoms and disability over time. And they're called the pro progressive forms of MS. And they have, they have fewer immune system treatments, but they do have symptomatic therapies. So I always say to the patients in general, this is a very uh, treatable condition for, for the vast majority of patients. We have treatments available um, and where we can't affect the disease because we can't cure it. We can at least manage it. And we can also often help your symptoms with medications and also with other support uh, professionals. Okay, right. So th that thank you for that. That's given me a, a much better sort of perspective or a sort of understanding of the, the various ways that MS can manifest um, and some of the ways that can hopefully bring relief um, to folks, you know, who are having um, sort of this health condition. Um, so is there any or much research into finding a cure for MS then? There's a huge amount of research into MS present, okay. um, and um, that has been the case for, for, for many years, but particularly in the past 10 to 15, even 20 years, there's been a, an increase in the, the number of available treatments for MS has um, skyrocketed really over the past 10, 15 years, and we're still getting new treatments every every year really uh, in, my, in my career. Um, so these treatments at present, as I said, they are not cures. Um, so they're, they're, the, the holy grail, of course, of MS is to try and find out what actually is causing it, number one, right. that remains uncertain. And can you in some, uh, some way prevent it happening, uh, firstly? Or if once it's established, is there a way you can actually reverse the damage? And admit at the present, we don't have a, a treatment that reverses damage, but uh, generally prevents further damage happening. Okay. Um, it's a huge area of research um, globally and certainly in the UK and in our, in our own, own centre as well. Mm -hmm. No, that um, I can imagine that, you know, sort of as a practitioner um, and, you know, one that engages with with the research element of it, it must be 
frustrating to not know what causes it. Um, and it, I can imagine that that makes it quite difficult to then find out how to cure it potentially if you don't even know necessarily where you're starting from and then therefore where you need to go with it. Um, how do you, how, how are those, how is that gap managed, I suppose, in, in the research and in the treatment that, that comes out of it? Yeah, so that's, that's a good question, but um, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, that's not uncommon in medicine. Right. So for most people, we don't know why they get high blood pressure, for example, um, yet we can treat it uh, with, with medications. For a lot of people, we don't know why they get, as I said, diabetes, yet we can treat it. So there's lots of things you can do, even if you don't know the underlying cause. And okay. the improvements in care over the past 10 to 20 years kind of reflect that. So the outcomes in multiple sclerosis are so much better now than they were um, 10, 20, 30 years ago. Um, so even though we don't know the cause, we we know some mechanisms that we can uh, we can target to help the symptoms and help the um, the disease progr uh, progression over time and disease symptoms over time. Um, but yes, clearly, if we could identify the underlying cause, that would be uh, where we want to get to. I, I mean, I, maybe I'm admitting some of my own ignorance here, but you know, every day is a school day, Paul. Like, I'm not even sure I understood that we don't know what causes diabetes. Um, so it felt like a a revelation to, to hear you say that we don't know what, what causes MS, but I suppose now I'm able to put that in a little bit of perspective, that it's not it's not unique to MS that, that this is the case, you know, and that um, I suppose it's it's quite encouraging to hear that, you know, the research into to possibly halting, maybe even reversing some of the effects that that MS and, and other conditions have, um, you know, that other people have, you know, that there, there's still things that can be done um, there's still progress that can be made and relief that can be provided. Um, so I, I suppose I've just learned a big thing there. Um, so thank you for that. What I think it's also really important for patients uh, with, with with MS or who are newly diagnosed in that often, especially patients in the past where we didn't have the treatments we have available now, we're often much more significantly disabled. And that might be the only person you've ever experienced or met who has MS. But a lot of my patients, in fact, a, a large proportion if you met them walking down the street you might not know they had ms which has changed quite a lot so yeah. um so that's that's a reassuring uh, thing as well excellent it's how common is ms in scotland so scotland is um, one of the most common places uh, or it's more common in scotland than most other countries actually and there's various theories on why that might be it's still a, a relatively uncommon condition in comparison to things like as i said the high blood pressure and a heart disease, for example, but um, the, the important thing about MS, it does tend to affect uh, patients at, at particularly um, important times of their lives when they're young, uh, they're otherwise healthy, and it's the most common cause of sort of non-traumatic disability in, in, in young patients. So it's, it's it happens to people when they are, you know, uh, starting work, starting a family, um, you know, starting their career. Um, which is obviously the time you do not want things to, to be affected. Yeah. Um, so it's an important uh, condition to treat around that time if we can. Now, I suppose it's a chicken and egg scenario here when, you know, asking about how common it is in Scotland. Is that number a reflection of, of how many people are coming forward now, maybe compared to in the past for consultation and maybe diagnosis and then eventual treatment versus maybe in the past where folks would have just tried to get on the best they could um, or maybe the symptoms that they're experiencing weren't 
sort of debilitating enough in their lives to warrant kind of going through all of, all of that. Um, and I, I recognize that that's sort of a chicken and an egg, but do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I suspect it's a bit of both. And I think people recognize multiple sclerosis more in the symptoms. People have better access to healthcare now. So um, they will we'll, we'll see people um, that maybe we wouldn't have seen in the past. And also our ability to diagnose MS has changed significantly. Even over the past five years, we can diagnose it much earlier than we could have in the past. Right. Um, but, but even with that, um, historical data suggests Scotland has generally had a higher incidence uh, of multiple sclerosis than, than most places in the world. Um, the, the Orkney, for example, having particularly high levels, more north you go. Um, uh, but it's, it's very variable, the, the, the level of MS in each country. It does vary, vary between countries and continents. Um, but Scotland has historically been known as a, a high incidence area of, of MS for various potential reasons. Wow. I, I mean, I my mind just went crazy with a whole bunch of questions. And obviously, you've just said we don't have the answers to, like, why is that the case? Um, you know, so um, I'd be interested to see how the how the research develops in the, you know, sort of the next five, 10 years um, and see how much closer we may get to answering that question. Um, you know, what is it that's special about Scotland? Um, in that sort of sense. There's a lot special about Scotland, I know that, but uh, how uh, in this particular uh, instance. Um, okay, so generally, I, I know that you've said that there's a variety of manifestations and, and symptoms that people experience, but what are some of, what are some of the maybe more typical ones? So a, a common presentation of, of multiple sclerosis would be a, a visual symptom, a condition we call optic neuritis. Um, and that's when patients develop usually one-sided uh, vision problems, typically associated with pain in their eye. It gradually gets worse over a few days or weeks, and they sometimes lose vision that then, by and large, comes back over a few days or weeks. Mm -hmm. uh, and that can be the first sign uh, of, of it. But but really, because uh, multiple sclerosis can affect anything that the brain or spinal, spinal cord does, if you think about any function, really, it can be affected. So typically, we think about things sensory disturbance such as weakness pins and needles uh weak uh, or, or motor disturbance with, with weakness as well or balance problems for example your your brain's involved in um but i always try and reassure a, a lot of people that these symptoms are usually fairly dramatic and um, so sometimes people worry if they have a sort of bit of tingling in their finger for a couple of minutes or something is this a sign of ms and for the vast majority of people that's not the case these are usually symptoms that last for days or weeks and are typically quite disabling if they do occur, but importantly, typically get better, if not fully resolved and often improve significantly. Um, so, so yeah, that's what tends to happen with relapsing remitting uh, disease, at least. We were lucky in the, in the previous episode to hear from the nurse at Revive who walked us through details of the symptoms, but you know, I suppose for folks who may be listening and maybe are experiencing a little bit of this and wondered, what is going on with my, my body? Um, why am I not feeling great? Um, that, you know, maybe by mentioning them again, that, you know, we reach one more person, um, you know, with this information, or maybe they know a loved one or a coworker or a neighbor who might be experiencing this. So, um, it's, I think, always good to raise that just again in, in brief there. So thank you very much for, for sharing some of those details. 
No, that's fine. And I think as well, it can be difficult at the beginning because when you first have dinos to work out what is MS and what's not. Um, and that can be partly, you know, our, you know, hopefully we help with that to help educate people on what, what symptoms we should be concerned about and which ones are probably can be within normal limits. But when you have this diagnosis or when you have symptoms that can be worrying, every symptom could be, or every feeling you have, you think, is this going to turn into something? And often that's that's not the case. But Part of our job is to educate people on what the symptoms are, and I, I think, so I'm glad you you've said that. Yeah, I, I mean, I I can only imagine that if somebody has particularly been newly diagnosed with MS, that you know that, that their mind must race. You know how much of this is actually just you know feeling well, and how much of it is actually from the MS. And I can I can appreciate that maybe that's even those questions aren't going to be answered overnight, that it's going to take some time to, to sort of start to, to separate those things out. Absolutely. Um, and it's, you know, a great service that Revive, you know, is providing as well as yourself with the research and sort of treatment aspect of it, um, that hopefully, you know, with all of the things roundabout govern, um, just, you know, up the road one way and then down the road the other, um, we're, we're quite fortunate in this area to have these brilliant resources literally on our doorstep. That's right. I mean, so in Queen Elizabeth Hospital, the the regional centre for, for for multiple sclerosis. There's obviously centres as well in Ayrshire and Lanarkshire. So there's other places, but mm. um, no, it's it's a, it's a really good service. We have our our own MS specialist nurses as well, so they they're always a good point of contact for patients if they're not sure about their about their MS related symptoms. Mm-hmm. So. Um... I just wanted to say thank you so much, Paul, for taking a moment to to share everybody, um, to share with everybody, you know what what MS is, break it down a tiny bit more, and to offer some insight into what research and treatment paths are out there, um, and what might even be awaiting for everybody in the future. Thanks very much for having me. I appreciate it and enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. Sonny Govan Radio. Revive was set up in 1984 by people living with MS and their families and helps people manage the physical, emotional, social and financial impacts that come with a diagnosis of MS. Anyone affected by MS can use Revive services and can be referred by a health or social care professional or self-referred. For more information, please visit revivemssupport.org.uk.